I'm a young black man doing all that I can to stand. Oh, but when I look around and I see what's being done to my kind every day, I'm being hunted as prey. My people don't want no trouble. We've had enough jungle. I just want to live. God protect me. I just want to live. I just want to live. 99 years ago this week, the Tulsa massacre occurred. There are many Americans out there who have never heard of the single worst incident of racial violence in our history. On May 30th, 1921, a young black man named Dick Rowland walked onto an elevator commencing the biggest and most violent stretch of time in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mr. Rowland walked onto the elevator of the Drexel building where Sarah Page, a young white woman, worked as an elevator operator. When Rowland walked onto that elevator, Sarah Page screamed, and Roland ran for his life. That scream sparked what we now know as the Tulsa Race Massacre, also known as the Black Wall Street Massacre. Rumors immediately spread throughout Tulsa that a black man had sexually assaulted Sarah Page. That accusation opened the floodgates to a mob of whites initiating a war on black residents in the city of Tulsa. The mob immediately killed an unarmed man in a movie theater and work their way into the neighborhoods of the wealthy black residents, burning down homes and businesses. Over the course of the 18-hour assault, a prominent surgeon was killed, machine guns used, and claims of planes during the attack were also reported. I tell this story because it's not one often told, and it plays a part into why we are here today, still experiencing the same pains and struggles we did 99 years ago this week. And for the record, we find out that Sarah screamed because Mr. Rowland accidentally stepped on her foot. He was released after the entire neighborhood had been burned to the ground. Today, I have my good friend and previous guest Kyle on the show to discuss the Amy Coopers of the world and the pain we face through the constant killings of Black men like George Floyd. Kyle, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, lovey. You know, less than cheery topics to to discuss in this in this episode but but lots to discuss so i'll throw it out to you because i know that not a lot of people were really familiar with the tulsa massacre was this something that you had heard about growing up is it something that's more recent to you or it's more recent um i think the first time that it had come to my mind was when i was scrolling through my facebook feed as i often do on a sunday night and the watchman had just shown an episode the first episode, I think, of the series in which it depicts um, the Tulsa massacre. Yeah. Um, and a lot of articles were floating around that night. So I clicked around and ended up finding out a little bit more about it. But no, it wasn't something that I was ever told about in my history teachings. Right. It certainly didn't come up in any history books that I had in school. And one would think, having grown up in a predominantly black neighborhood, that, I don't know, it might have come up in any of our classes from K through 12, but but it didn't. And so I really, you know, started to dig in. And it's funny because some of the articles that were written about it were purged. 
Mm -hmm. So the day of when this took place on, on May 31st, the Tulsa Chronicle ended up destroying the old papers and destroying what I guess what is it called the um the permanent print of of whatever that newspaper of the day is everything was destroyed it was almost like they wanted to erase it from history mm -hmm. and they did for the most part so I bring this yeah. up because I'm getting a lot of comments from people and these are not my people necessarily but you, you hear from people who are saying i don't know why you guys are still talking about this stuff this isn't race related you know what's going on are just random flukes i can't believe you guys are protesting and looting you know so all of these things can be very triggering when you hear people say them and you're like but wait but wait i think you brought up the the l word right because that's the one that's been popular um, I think now, uh, but also in the past, it's like, why are you doing this? What does looting prove? Uh, yeah. Um, but when you look at the Tulsa massacre, which was again, covered up as a race riot, right. Uh, to, to make it seem, uh, as if it wasn't a massacre of black folk, uh, in, in like their prominent black. In their I street. mean, this is right. These were, and, and, and not that I'm saying any life isn't worth living, but when we look at our history and we look at the reasons why we haven't moved as forward in careers, financially, you know, you look I at a time- mean black people, right? You're black people, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, yeah. you look in our history and you think every time we tried to move forward, something like that seemed to happen and we were brought back to square one. Right. You know, so it's really upsetting when they're like, oh, it's not that it, it wasn't as bad as it seemed. It's not you're making a big deal out of it. So it's it's frustrating on on many fronts. But one of them is is for me is feeling like we don't have that legacy mm -hmm. that whites do. You know, we didn't go to schools and say, oh, my uncle also went here. My great grandfather went here. Like that was stopped in many different instances, both during slavery, both during things like the Tulsa massacre and other you know, unfortunate uh, um, killings that took place in the past. And we're seeing it today. I mean, if, if, if people can't see that that's what's going on right now, then I, I have a hard time saying, you know, I understand, because I really don't. You bring up a good point about legacy, Lovey, because to me, you know, this was 1921, I think, when it occurred, yeah. right? It also reminds me of another period in our time when, you know, after Civil War, we had the Reconstruction era, and there was a time uh, at which I think blacks were actually becoming more involved in political office. They were elected at higher rates and then they started changing the laws around. So that wasn't happening. And it right, just seems like to be this vicious cycle of making sure that um, our people are stamped down. Right, like rezoning, you know. Yes, rezoning is another one. Um, the GI Bill, right? We know about yep. the GI Bill, right? And how that um, displaced veterans after um, you know World War II. Um, and by veterans, I mean black veterans, right? Uh, because white veterans actually benefited from that package, whereas the black ones were left to suffer after they served the country. Black veterans also suffered in um, the Tulsa uh, massacre because they were the ones defending their community. They were, yeah. And, and we talk about, I think, in the society, being able to serve your country, where was respect that they needed that day as well? non-existent and so it, it brings me back because what i want to do is i think i i, I want to go through the last three weeks because i feel it's been three weeks right that we've I, it's just been an explosion of horror upon horror and what i want to do is break it down because i think for some of my white friends who have reached out to me to say like oh i've been listening to the podcast and i wasn't aware of certain things that you're mentioning and it never occurred to me to think about things in a certain way i would like us to take a second 
and from our view and from our eyes, break down the reasons why some of these things are problematic. So I bring up Amy Cooper to begin with. Sure. And I'm going to put it out there. I know an Amy Cooper from high school. I know an Amy Cooper from college. I know an Amy Cooper from when I worked at Columbia Business School. I know an Amy Cooper at every stage of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's really unfortunate, but I bet you, you know, if people go out and they talk to their black friends and other friends of color, they will all say they've met an Amy Cooper at some point in their life. And for those who don't know, and good gracious, how do you not know this story? Amy Cooper is a financier. I guess she works in a financial firm, lives in Franklin New York. Templeton. Franklin right. Templeton is where she worked. Work. Thank you. Well, she worked. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. We're both like past tense. Um, so <laughs> that's where she worked. Yeah. No longer. Mm. Um, and so she worked there. She went to, what business school did she go to? She went. She, uh, it might have been Booth, maybe. Uh, University of Chicago Booth. Yes, uh, she went school. to Chicago. Booth. So she was at Chicago. So here's a progressive person, right? Like, And she was also labeled as a liberal, according to oh. some articles that came out about her. Yep. So here's a person who one would think she lives in New York City, one of the most diverse cities in the United States. Mm -hmm. In the middle of a pandemic, everyone's a little high strung, yes, Mm -hmm. but she's walking her newly adopted dog in an area that is restricted for dogs who are not on leashes, Mm because it's bird watching. You know, you don't want your dog coming out and attacking and killing all the precious birds that have somehow survived living in New York City. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then she... (laughs) So then you have... You know, um, and his last name is also Cooper. So Christian, he is an author. He's a writer. He writes comics. He's 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 like, you know, Renaissance man, Mm -hmm. attractive, the whole nine. You know, he says to her, hey, listen, do me a solid. Put your dog on a leash. Mm -hmm. She turns into the most defensive human being one can imagine for such a simple request of make sure your dog doesn't attack me because I'm really not digging on having a dog attack me and it's not it's not what you're supposed to do so instead of her just saying oh my bad let me go ahead and do that she makes a scene of it and the fact that everything is recorded and on film and the fact that she turns on the waterworks as quickly as she does mm-hmm. i mean it's almost like she she was meant for broadway mm-hmm. you know she was meant for the stage the way that she acted and responded yeah and had the police actually responded hmm with with what she was putting out, a white woman in the middle of Central Park early in the morning by herself. I mean, it's like the Central Park Five, you know? It's it's yeah. it's. I was gonna bring that up. I mean, to me, like, and we go back to the Watchmen. I'll go back to that for a second because, like, one of the topics I think that show deals with is, is the idea of the generational consciousness, the collective consciousness that Black people share. And with that, you got to think that this lady has to do a better job of reading the room, right? Right. Central Park, um, recognizing that a black man is actually asking her to follow the law, calling the cops on him is something that could be extremely triggering and dangerous, yet she decides to do it anyway. Had she not heard about when they see us and how that dropped and broke the internet? Maybe not, because maybe she's just that disconnected and so socially unaware of the plight that's existed. However, I know a lot of my friends do know about that documentary. So it makes me wonder about if she was very intentional in doing this. Um, and if she was actually looking to, you know, take away this man's life. Right. Because it's, if, it's if not his life, I mean, certainly some component of his life. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, she works in a field where if one gets arrested, 
for prowling in the park after an accusation of nearly attacking a woman, right. you know full well you will not have a job in right. any sort of high-end career. That would be it. So the, the thought process isn't, you know what, I'm not comfortable with you, sir. I'm just going to go. The thought process isn't, I have a dog that's running around like crazy. Maybe I'm the intimidating one in this right. scenario. Right. I should probably walk away. Right. You know, there were so many different things that she could have done. And what was triggering for me was that when she got on the phone and started in with the police officers and said, you know, this scary black, she knew exactly what she yeah, was doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. She didn't she say even changed this the inflection man. in her voice. She changed yeah. the inflection in her voice to make it seem as if she was being attacked. It's 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 like what toddlers do when they want to get away with things that they know they shouldn't be doing. Right. The waterworks come on. It's like, woe is me. I can't believe that somebody would say no to me. This is my park. Right. You know, the, the ownership of it all, which is which is a big piece of it, I think. I think a big mm -hmm. part of it was she just couldn't handle this man telling right. her what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it makes me wonder if if you interviewed people that she previously worked with right. who were people of color, how would that play out? What would they say about her? Right. You know, I, God forbid she had kids at one of the elite private schools or educational yeah. institutions in in New York. Like, imagine her as a parent. Right. Horrible. Because right? as a former be teacher, to yeah, I know you dealt with those. I mean, we've dealt with those parents. Right. You call to say, hey, your kid forgot to turn in their work, and somehow you're the horrible person for asking them for work. Right. <laughs> and this, I mean, this goes back to a, a deeper issue, right? Uh, and, you know, I, listeners, brave your ears, I guess. I, I think this is something that maybe you have to hear, but I think the white women that might be listening to the show is you have to recognize your privilege in all this, right? We're not just talking about white males, but white women um, definitely have a certain air about them that uh, gives them entitlement when they walk. And this is one of them. One of the issues that I've had in my educational career is the, the book To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You look at that book, right? And, and I was raised on the book. I'm sure that you were too, Lovey. Did you yeah. read it? Yes. Right? Long, you, long we look ago. At <laughs> well, I was raised on it too. And we're like roughly whatever many years. We're, we're apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm looking at that book and what that told me as a seventh grader, sorry, as a sixth grader reading that book is that, okay, um, Tom Robinson's a criminal. He's a black man. Mm -hmm. um, and he will be on trial for what he potentially did uh, with a white woman, right? Yeah. Um, so not only are you teaching me about rape when I was younger, uh, right, in a way that didn't really allow me to, I guess, grapple with how important that is, right? right? But in addition, I was also taught that the narrative about me is that I'm a criminal that needs to be defended by a white lawyer and that I may have hurt a white woman all in one. Right. right? So, so it's just three strikes. Three strikes. Three Automatically. Strikes. That's the narrative that was told me. And I was told this was a classic book. Well, we can't, oh my gosh, that's a whole, can I just say, now that I'm thinking about it, that's an entire episode altogether. Yeah, the, right. the number of books that we were force-fed and required to read just so that we could enter the world of, you know, sure. the elite and right. hold conversations with the important people, half of them, more than half of them, were degrading. Right. We're degrading Huckleberry Finn. I mean, like, literally right. all of these books were like... Maybe we can come back to it, but... I guess the point of me bringing up this one is to iterate um, that it informed me about who I was potentially. And it also suggests a little bit about, um, you know, how white women are protected. Very uh, protected. Right. 
And she knows that and she's acting on that. And that's just an evolution of that same um, sentiment that has happened, you know, ever since the Tulsa massacres onto, you know, 1960s with Emmett Till um, and today with Amy Cooper. It's just evolved over time. I mean, and it's literally, it's exactly the same scenario. You've got Emmett Till, you have someone who falsely accuses him of some form of not even sexual assault, like whistling, right? So he's whistling at her. Then you have Sarah Page in 1921, kicks off a whole entire race riot, has people massacred, planes dropping, you know, bombs on people because she screamed in an elevator Mm -hmm. when a young black man was in it with her. Yeah. And And in today, we're doing the same thing. Did I get the Emmett Till date right? I always want to make sure I get my dates right. I said 1960s. I could be wrong about that. Please fact check me if we need to. But we'll come back to it. I'll fact check it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank goodness for the internet. But we will check. And somebody will obviously call us out. Probably one of our. Good. Good. Please keep me accountable. That's what I need. Colby Bowden Pierce will 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 check us on that. Yeah. So right. So we have you know the Amy Coopers and we have and this isn't the only one actually. Um, somebody sent me a video, literally days after this happened, where it was the same exact thing where this woman was complaining about a black woman taking up her space mm-hmm. in a park. Mm-hmm. I'm like taking up her space. What do you mean taking up your space? How is mm-hmm. that even a thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a park. Yeah. You know, we all share it. One does not own the property right. of the community. <laughs> that right. is, it is not yours. You don't get to do that. So let me circle it back to to a little bit of where we are right now. And, and I'll preface by saying that there is a protest taking place in the town which I live in. Yeah. This morning, he, and I know that you well. had mentioned, right, I know that you had mentioned that there is protests going on in, in the Boston area. And I yeah. chose not to attend. I made the active decision. I said, I I don't want to be a part of that right now. I don't have the mental capacity to do it. I don't have the emotional bandwidth to do it. And I realized soon after I was I was exactly right, mm-hmm. because um, one of the members of our community attended and by, you know, by a um, group, I mean, there were literally 20 people. I live in a very small town. So imagine 20 people standing, protesting in town center, holding signs that basically say Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. we can't breathe, you know, and these are these are white people predominantly standing and doing this, which I really appreciate. And I think is kind of an important piece to all of this. So they're doing this. And then I checked in later today to see how things went. And I'm Mm going to read to you Mm. what was screamed out at them in the couple of hours that they were standing outside. People were yelling, white power, Trump 2020, called them fucking idiots, mm-hmm. screamed, go home. Mm-hmm. Why do you care? All lives matter. Mm-hmm. Check the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And where's the fire? Mm-hmm. So imagine living in a small town and you think that you're peacefully protesting and this is what screamed out of people's cars at you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, people so I, ask me all the time, why do you think it's a race issue? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that they can jump to, to that point about this um, not being a race issue. I, I don't even know where that type of thinking comes from outside of ignorance, I guess. People are very creative when they want to be ignorant. Yeah, right. I mean, I remember watching a Fox News interview when uh, Ahmad Arbery uh, mm-hmm. was shot and the reporter asked... Uh, I think it must have been Trump or someone from his team. I, I actually forget. Um, They're all the same. 
Yes, but I remember what the reporter asked because he was the one that was staring the interview and he asked, what are you going to do to make sure that this is not a racial situation? And I'm like, well, I'm stuck what? here. Like, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> what do you mean? This, is, by this has been about race. <laughs> do you right? get to erase that? Right. <laughs> I mean, what is that? And, I don't and even on, understand. Well, one of the twi Twitter people that was in my circle, by the way, if you want to follow me, I need some more followers, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, throw, out your, throw out your handle. I will plug, I will plug my handle. Um, <laughs> but one of the followers um, who interacted with this comment said, um, translation, what will you do to make sure that white people aren't uncomfortable? There we go. And that's the translation of what that there question is, right? Because white people, or some of them, I won't say all of them, aren't ready to uh, be uncomfortable when it comes to this dialogue that our community constantly, as you can see, is having. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because the level of stress one must feel on a constant mm. basis mm. when you're trying to avoid feeling the pressures of guilt, mm -hmm. that seems heavy. Mm -hmm. You know, I almost feel like it would be a lot easier to say, you know what? Yes, we do need to do better. Okay. I want to learn. I want to be a more empathetic person. I know I may not actively be out shooting people <clears throat> that we know of, mm -hmm. but right. <laughs> what is it that you're actually doing yeah. to make things better for all people around you. And that, that's a question if you dare to ask other people, they get really crazy and defensive about. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not my problem. I didn't do anything. My family has not been involved in that for years. And it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think one thing that you may be getting at, maybe I'm interrupting you on this, but it also becomes per performative, right? Um, so, okay, you're caught up in the moment right now. Yeah, let me post on my social media, give you some likes, pretend like I care. Um, mm -hmm. But w what happens when this isn't a big issue on the news, right? What work are you going to be doing um, before the next fire? That's ding, what I ding. told different people. Right, because this isn't the first go. Right. This is not the first. And I think people forget, like, everyone is acting as if oh, these are the first riots we've right. had in so long. And it's like, what do you mean, like a year ago? Right. Two years ago? Do you guys right. forget, you know, Charlotte? Like, do you forget <laughs> North Carolina right. had massive... Right riots i guess it's easy when you can create a cocoon for yourself and mm -hmm. ignore what goes on and it's only an issue when it starts to get really close and so like we were talking about before you know the looting thing yeah it is bothersome listen i'm not i'm not going out and looting i don't have that honestly i'm just too tired <laughs> yeah. yeah, my back yeah. hurts like it would really be a lot physically for me but when yeah. i see people saying you know i understand peaceful protests but i don't get the looting mm -hmm. i want to be like have you been to the british museum right have you been to any museum <laughs> mm -hmm. then if you're not for looting i don't want to see you walk into any of these historical museums mm -hmm. without big old signs saying give that shit back Right. Because the that other, means you really don't care. <laughs> I mean, the other way you can think of looting, right, is citation, right, or mm -hmm. um, giving credit, right? So not only the physical act of, like, property, but intellectual property, right? So when I look at um, the young girl who made the renegade dance, the people who blew up off of the, the renegade dance um, actually were not her. <laughs> and right. that's the issue, right? And, and on top of it, um, they were white in their complexions, right? And on top of it, um, some question whether there was proper citation and credit given to her, right? Yeah. So when we look at what we're seeing with social media even and how hip-hop culture has been co-opted, right? 
um we're seeing we're seeing that like we're still getting looted oh um, not, absolutely not, not just as like you know africa um being looted right or you know pe places that aren't america or western intellectual property uh, intellectual uh, property yes, yes it's it's happening all the time and it's funny i didn't realize it until my sister told me about you know she's like if you look at every popular TikTok dance, every popular TikTok, you know, performance, <laughs> they all started, you know, it was it's like the the scene from the five heartbeats, you know, where it's mm, like I haven't the, seen the movie actually. Oh, Sorry. you haven't? Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to watch the five heartbeats. It's basically like the temptations light. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. so in the movie they have, you know, the, the the band, they create this wonderful music, and then the immediately it's stolen by the white band and then they tweak it just enough to make it their own and it becomes the biggest hit and so we see this all the time fashion music theater the arts like every stage of the game you know friends and uh what was the queen latifah show Oh, uh, living single. Living single. Thank you. Oh my yeah. gosh, Kyle is like, okay, you're not that young. Okay, you are that. Young. <laughs> <laughs> you are that young. But right, so everyone's getting all upset in their feelings about the whole looting piece, and yeah. I just feel like they would—they're just looking for any reason to not want to back the fight. Mm -hmm. So if it weren't looting, it would have been something else. Right. You know, there would always be a reason to just say, well, I don't think this is the way to do it. Peaceful protest is the only way. And then if you peacefully protest, well, I don't like the fact that you blocked the street because, you know, I had to get to work. And it's like, well, nobody's mm -hmm. going to work. We're in a mm -hmm. pandemic. So what, what, like the, the bothersome, you know, uh, reactions are just, it's beyond me. And I, I just can't engage anymore. Like I find myself just wanting to retreat out of conversations with people mm -hmm. because you well, know they're not going anywhere. Why do you think those same like um, excuses, I should say, um, are constantly coming up and being repeated to the point where like they're almost becoming idioms? <laughs> so I've had a couple of conversations. I was talking to my sister, I think either this morning or yesterday about this. And this might be a little bit deeper than the level I'm working with right now, because I feel mm -hmm. like I need a PhD to really map this whole thing out. Sure. But there's something ingrained in us, right? And I really feel like there is almost like something from slavery times that African-Americans and Blacks still carry with them. Mm -hmm. And the same thing that whites still carry with them from slave ownership times, you know, like... Generational consciousness? Yeah, that, there's that, there's yeah. something that's been inherited, ingrained. I don't know what it is, yeah. but this fear and this loss of control, you know, like they fear... Oh my goodness, what happens if we lose the majority? Oh my goodness, what happens if we lose power? Oh my goodness, what happens if we lose our money? You know, and the same way that we've been so reluctant to push harder in some respects, this fear, well, sometimes black people are like, I don't want to push too hard. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want too many issues coming up. I just kind of want to keep chill and keep my job. And even when I have conversations with people about the presidency and, you know, I got chewed out chewed out for saying why can't we do better than biden and everyone's like if you don't support biden then you're not part of you know you're for trump and i'm like whoa nobody said that i just said i wanted better than what we've yeah. had <laughs> like, I don't, you're thinking critically i was like okay yes i'm voting for biden but what are we doing now to make sure that we're not here in four years again right you know, because if if we don't start doing things now and starting with these protests, starting with making our voices heard, we're going to be back here 
in two years, in four years, in 10 years, still complaining mm -hmm. that they're killing us, that we don't have rights, that we don't have the power. And so whatever it is that's ingrained in us and also the same, whatever it's ingrained in other races, mm -hmm. we have to figure out what that is and break the hell out of it yeah. and change the trajectory. I could be completely I, wrong. No, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, it's almost like there's been this mentality um, that has been kind of hovering over us, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a friend of mine actually wrote something brilliant and he says, you know, we, we chase freedom, right? Mm -hmm. but one thing that we're doing also is acknowledging the struggle of freedom. Now, now we're trying to figure out, I think, as a people, if we're ever going to get to that freedom or if the struggle is just it. Right. right. And this is this is as good as it gets. Is, or... Yeah. Right. And if you have to process that as the story and I'm I'm I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm wrestling with that idea. Right. Because I want to think that freedom's attainable and that the struggle is not just it. Um, I would hope not. But there are moments where it starts to feel like it. Yeah. I mean, legitimately, when you start saying to yourself, uh, I don't have the energy to get out and protest. I Absolutely. don't want to do it anymore. I Absolutely. don't want to have conversations about race all the time. Because every time I do, people are like, why are you always talking about race? And it's like, Same. Ah. Same. <laughs> I've had relationships and because of that. Absolutely. Right. Cause it's like, right. Cause people are like, it's a little much. And you're like, but it's a little much every day for me as I walk the streets and right. breathe. This is my existence. <laughs> this is. I was like, when's the last time you freaked out when you got in a car and saw a mm. police cruiser down the road? Right. I'm like, I'm I do. Every time I drive by a car, every... or walk by a car. Every time, like you, you mentally get your head right. You're like, okay, where am I going? Yep. Do I have anything on me? Where what was I hands? doing? Yeah. Do I look okay? Mm -hmm. Did I have anything right before I got here? You know, like there's literally mm -hmm. the, the litany of questions that one has to ask themselves. And then when we see these videos, which by the way, is also a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful they exist because now people know, but it's really hard to every morning, you know, you open up your computer and then the first thing you see is legitimately mm -hmm. a video mm -hmm. of an individual getting murdered mm -hmm. with a crowd of people standing around watching. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because I think one thing that I'm starting to realize is I can't watch the videos anymore. No. I've taken that active stance to actually not watch the videos, share whatever I can about the incident and get the details from the media, which also convolutes the story, but right. that's, again, another discussion, maybe. Um, but I'm getting to the point where I'm becoming desensitized to that video, and I don't want that to happen because it's making me devalue the life that has just um, been taken away from this existence. Right, and then, you know, you realize it's like just another meme. It's literally just another- Seriously stereotype visualization it devalues an individual's life mm -hmm. you know like when you really think about it mm -hmm. when someone passes away you know people go through hours and days just choosing the one picture to represent who this person is at the funeral or at the wake like legitimately it's a whole like we gotta make sure the lighting is right and the floral arrangement and here you get killed in such a horrific way and the last image that is shown of you is like that yeah 
that's how people see you. They see you under someone's knee. Mm -hmm. They see you under someone who's supposed to be, you know, an officer of the law, mm -hmm. literally killing you as others stand by watching as if, you know, hey, what time is the ice cream truck coming? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's at the same time, I'm, I'm happy that people are there to document. And I guess I got to call out cops like um the the fellow officer i think right the, the other video. three the other I three mean, right i gotta call them out because i think that's a time when you interject and say all right you're doing too much right like how hard is it to say right i mean as a teacher mm -hmm. you know like i've been in school settings where you feel yourself get frustrated with a student and the first thing you probably do is or at least what i used to do is i'm like i'm gonna take a breather yes everyone absolutely. take five minutes go through your book i'm gonna walk out I'm going to go to another adult peer and yes. vent. Yep. And then I'm going to come back like a civilized human being yeah. and continue with my work at hand. In middle school all the time, lovey. Yes. I, I mean, I yes, especially in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something at that halfway point in sixth grade. Right. <laughs> Something happens. Right. But is this not part of sensitivity training? Is this not part of... I'm going to get anecdotal and say I, I'm not sure how much training cops get. Uh, I do have an inkling from my hairdresser. By the way, I just got these done again. Very nice. All right. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, they reopened the state a little bit, and I immediately got my hair done. You were first in line. <laughs> I was the first. Oh in, hey, I paid. I paid my uh, my hairstylist a month in advance. You did. Look at you. You were ready. Yeah. You had a plan in place. <laughs> but, um, I was going to say she she was like, you know what? I get more hair. Sorry, I get more hair training than cops get um, officer training. I mean, right? uh, yeah. dang, that's crazy. I get two years of training for my master's program before I go out into the field of education. Including you have to go through like practice, your practicum. Right. You have to go through your practicum. You have to have, you know, in-class training. You right. there, there are so many levels to what you have to get done in order just to get the certificate to then start out at the most basic, basic level. Absolutely. Of teaching, you know, and heaven forbid you want to work with even younger kids. That's a, that's a whole nother, a whole different game, right? That's a whole different game of training. And so I guess that's part of where I would love to see the conversation long-term go. Okay. Mm -hmm. If we see that this is happening over and over again, instead of just saying, Oh, you know, all it's not all cops are bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. But just like in teachers, right? It's just like in special education. Mm -hmm. You want to teach to every student. Mm -hmm. So you want to train police officers so that you're training for the most, you know, gentle way, incompetent one who somehow mm -hmm. made it onto the force. Because if you can train that person to be a good police officer, mm -hmm. guess what? Everyone else is going to, to do great. Right. You know, and, and what's the system where, because apparently he had already had a couple of infractions yes. where he was involved in another murder. He was involved in a, a, some shooting. kind of threats. I mean, so yeah. this is not somebody with a clear conscience. Right. And against, I think, two people of color. One, I believe, was Native American. Um, but mm. I don't want to go too far off the rails here. Um, but again, like, it, you do have to question, I think, this person who... Um, was led onto the force and hasn't really been checked um, to the point where they are disciplined enough to maybe reconsider um, their policing tactics. Right. Like, what are the checks and balances? I feel like yeah. these are the these are the opportunities where, you know, 
you see the private sector actually be able to do what we want the public sector to be able to do. You know, like right. Amy Cooper, they were like, we don't want that mess. Right. You're fired. You know, who knows what they put up with while she was at, at the at the firm. Mm-hmm. But when you see police officers involved in things like this, they're never that quickly reprimanded. They're never fired on the spot. It's never a question of, that don't look good. So we're going to distance right. ourselves from you really quickly and then figure it out. Because they're yeah. sure enough quick to make decisions about Black people when they roll up on us on right. the street. Agreed. Agreed. So I don't understand why it can't be the same level of intensity then. What type of bias training do these uh, officers have? What type of um, sensitivity training and community training? Um, Community training is huge. If I'm a teacher, right, and I have to learn about different cultures and be culturally responsive in my practice, um, should not um, officers of the law who are going into completely different communities from their own upbringings? One would think. One would think, right? Like if you don't, I mean, this it's it's funny how a lot of these topics that I've talked about over the last few weeks have all of these, you know, connective pieces, right? Funny enough, we're talking about that 90 Day Fiance episode Mm -hmm. where Jake and I were talking about, oh, if you're going to date someone or want to marry someone from another country, Mm -hmm. bare minimum, you should know something about their culture. Right. So obviously, if you want to or you plan to work in a neighborhood that you weren't raised in or a community of people that you know very little about, you might want to learn some stuff. Right. Social graces, you know, key language factors. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of things that one could learn that aren't that hard to do if you just spend some quality time Absolutely. picking it up. Right. So lots of things for for us to figure out. I'm not sure. I mean, what does your gut say? Because I'm always curious, yeah. like, you know. Predict the future, will you, Kyle? What does yeah, it look have, like? Uh, are we talking about policing? I mean, we're talking about everything. What, everything? Whatever you're feeling in terms of what your hope is versus what the reality is, I guess. Okay, I'm going to look at silver linings. There we go. Um, we had a pandemic. We still are in the midst of a pandemic, mind you, right? Don Lemon the other day on CNN, and by the way, I'm not uh, saying that everyone should watch CNN. I just happened to see this, mm-hmm. like Don Lemon. Um, he said that there are two viruses happening. Um, there is the coronavirus and there's uh, racism, systemic yeah. racism, right? Um, so I like to look at the silver lining of this. People have been cooped up in their homes for a while, right? We have True. seen that on one hand, um, one group of people, uh, libertarians have gone out into um, their state capitals with guns ablazing, ready for what? ever they're ready for, right? And um, now after the killing of George Floyd, people on the other side are um, going out to protest this man's um, killing uh, by the hands of an officer, by the knees of an officer. Mm -hmm. Great. The silver lining is now that people have been at home, working from home, they've been on the social media circuit and seen all this, right, with their own eyes, and they've had a better chance to really, like, digest it given that they haven't been doing maybe as much with their regular days. Maybe some have. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do now? And yeah. I sense, I sense that we've reached a brink to the point where yes, rebellion, I think in the form of looting is maybe being begun to be understood by um, people who value property over human lives. I like to think that this moment where we were just chilling 
for a little bit and not going about our regular day with this new normal that we have, um, I like to think that maybe some people understand the plight that we as black people nice. are facing. Mm -hmm. No, I think you, I think you hit it on the, the head, the, the nail on the head. Um, it's funny when this all started, this all being the, the pandemic, I said, you can definitely tell some people have never suffered. Mm, yeah. You know, like you could really see it in how people were reacting and responding to some of the littlest inconveniences and how like, this ain't nothing. <laughs> this is this is easy. Like you lost know. a little bit of privilege, man. Right. Growing up as me. <laughs> right. And so so for me, I'm like, this is good. Like people I'm not saying people need to suffer, but I'm saying people need to suffer a little bit in their lives. Because without that suffering there's no space for empathy i don't think in my personal opinion i think saying that you're empathetic but not really understanding what that entails is very hard and so what i do hope and i'm going to follow along with what you're saying what i do hope is that people take a step back mm -hmm. and they really look through at what's going on you know how they have been in the past and look at sort of the situations that we are protesting that we're angry about and really say to themselves okay I know what it's like to go without. I know what it's like to have things taken away from me. Mm -hmm. This is the extreme. Somebody's life taken away from them just because X, Y, and Z, the, the way they look, what neighborhood they happen to grow up in. So I really, really push and I hope for people to before A, before you say anything, like shut up, just shut it and listen to what is being said to you. Yes. Because that has a huge bearing on what you can do for others. Um, I also want to read something Go ahead. as like my final little note that I got from Lovey Ajay, who's the, mm -hmm. the you know the other Lovey. Have you heard of? Um, I don't think Aj I have Ajay heard of Lovey. the other Lovey. Wait, who's that? Oh, I have to send. She's like she's actually like famous Lovey Lovey. <laughs> I am. Okay. I am not, but she. You know, I love following her, and she has some really good points. I don't know if she wrote this, but she posted this, mm -hmm. so I'll read this to you. <clears throat> When you debate a person about something that affects them more than it affects you, remember that it will take a much greater emotional toll on them than on you. For you, it may feel like an academic exercise. For them, it feels like revealing their pain only to have you dismiss their experience and sometimes their humanity. The fact that you re might remain more calm under these circumstances is a consequence of your privilege, not increase objectivity on your part stay humble. So I just really like that. And I think it's a sort of a great end point. But before we end, Kyle, yeah, your handle, my friend. Yes. Um, yes. And so I'll also you, put it in print. Yes. Um, <laughs> you all can follow me at uh, Mr. LA. So that's um, capital M, uh, uh, lowercase r, capital E, lowercase h, capital L, A, Y. All right. I will share that with everyone because you definitely want to be following Kyle on Twitter because he's tweeting and he's doing all the things and saying all the things that you want to hear. So thank you again, Kyle. Thank you guys for listening today. And I know that it's been tough for a lot of people the last few weeks, but we will come out of this and um, hopefully folks will do like Kyle said. And, you know, there's a silver lining in this all and just be better, be stronger, be kind and be wise. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank you to our host, Clovercrest Media Group, 
Kev from BK for our visual arts, and the fire intro song, Filthy, by TVP Records. Podcast system.